with me to the book of Acts chapter 9, if you would please. The book of Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> I want to get right into the message tonight, and I think you're familiar with the background. This is the chapter, of course, in Acts chapter 9, where we have the conversion of the man by the name of Saul, the great persecutor of, uh, of the early churches, and how that God worked in an amazing way in his life. But I want to pick up reading in verse number 20. The Bible said in straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. Now that had to be interesting. Here's the man who had been putting people to death for Christianity. He had been breathing out slaughter against them. He had orders on his way to Damascus. And of course, you know, met the Lord there on the road to Damascus. And now the Bible said that he is preaching Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called uh, uh, on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for the intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews uh, which uh, dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he assuaded to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. I want to look for just a few moments tonight. We've been talking about missions and faith promise missions giving and really trying to challenge everybody to be a part of it and everybody to ask the Lord, what would you have me to do? And recognizing that you are making a difference, you might be tempted to think, well, I, I can't do much. I love the song that said, little is much when God is in it. If I'll just mind the Lord, there's no telling what God will do uh, through your giving and my giving as we give to the great cause of Christ through our mission giving. And I believe with all my heart, everybody has to pray and say, Lord, what could I do to make a difference? But I don't want to be that person that just sits back and watches everybody else be in on what's going on and not be a part of it. When I was in high school, I had the privilege for just a little while of playing football. I certainly wasn't the greatest athlete. I would have played basketball, but uh, I was no good. And I was built more for comfort than speed. And so anyway, I did play football in high school and, and uh, did some other sports, but I uh, did play a, a year of baseball. But, but I, I, I loved football in particular as far as playing it. And, and you know, the thing about it is if you understand there's a good number of men on the football team, and not everybody gets to be on the field at the same time. But well, I'll tell you, the time I loved the most was when I was in the mix of it all and in the middle of it all. And then sometimes you'd, you know, be sitting back every once in a while, you'd get asked to play both offense and defense and man it's just like you want to be a part of what's going on you want to be a participant but you understand that if everybody on the team puts their best effort into it it makes all the difference in the world and I didn't want to just you know be a, a, a casual observer I wanted to be a participant I wanted to be involved I wanted at the end of the game for the coach to know that I'd done my best to be a part of what was going on we had certain awards that would be given at after each game and it might be for particular 
particular blocks that were made or maybe uh, for recovering a fumble or things of that nature. And, and of course, those little decals they would give you, you'd decorate your helmet with them, just a little uh, sticker that would go on the side of your helmet. Uh, but I'll tell you, as a young person, you long to have lots of those because the more you had, the more people knew, man, this guy is involved. And can I tell you something? We're not doing this giving to missions for the praise of men or the pat on the back. In fact, is our giving, dear friend, as the offering plate goes by, uh, quite often is between us and the Lord. But I would hate to sit back and just watch everything happening and say, I mean, that's really great, but you know, that's just not for me. I want to be a participant. I want when the preacher tells us, hey, one of our missionaries just planted a new church or one of our missionaries recorded a great meeting at their place or this need was met in their life or this miracle happened in their ministry. I want to be able to sit there and go, wow, thank you, Lord. I got to be a part of that and what a joy it is to be a part of the work of the Lord. And Just look with me for a few moments here. Paul as at this point in his life, is still called Saul. He's a young convert compared to, compared to where he's going to be. But I want you to notice there comes a moment when the enemy wants to kill him, and the only way they could save him at that moment, humanly speaking, was to get him out of town. They had to lower him over the basket and get him uh, out of town uh, before the enemy could get to him. And the Bible talks about how that they lowered him uh, in the basket. And of course, uh, in order to do that, somebody had to hold the ropes. Can I tell you, our missionaries go to the fields on our behalf. And you and I really, we're rope holders. We're a part of, of helping to get them to do the work, go down into the well, so to speak. And they go out and reach the lost in these different countries. That doesn't mean that we're not to be reaching people here. But I'm telling you, when it comes to missions, we are rope holders for the cause of Christ. And notice just a few things with me, if you will. Number one, the responsibility for holding the ropes. You know, I don't know about you, but if I was in the basket, I'd want somebody consistent. I mean, if I'm in the basket, listen, friend, you go over the wall. If somebody, you know, isn't really careful, you could go over way too fast. I want somebody consistent that's going to be steady day after day or moment after moment. But not only that, I want somebody compassionate. I want somebody that's going to put me in the basket and, I, you know, and realize that my whole life at that moment depends on their compassion as they lower me over the wall. This is not a little offense in the backyard. These are high walls and there's a great responsibility going on. I want someone that is consistent and steady. I want someone that's compassionate. Somebody that's careful how they handle the ropes. I want somebody that's concerned. I want somebody that says, you know, right now, we don't know much about this guy in the basket. But I like people that care enough about people that it's not, well, this guy's, you know, we want to help him because he's got money. We want to help him because, you know, he's got personality. We want to help him. You know, at this time, they had no idea how great this man would be for God. But they wanted to get him safely out of the city. And as they lowered him, I don't know about you, but I want somebody that's going to be concerned about every person in the basket. Did you know Jesus loves sinners? And uh, it's not, dear friend, a matter of uh, being, uh, you know, with the mindset of, well, you know, I'll, we'll reach them because they'll, you know, uh, be a better influence in our church or our community. Did you know God just loves for us to go after sinners? People need the Lord. And not only that, I want someone that's courageous. 
These men were putting their very lives on the line. They knew the enemy was after Saul. They knew that the enemy was trying to stop the work of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to be around people that have courage, that are willing to stand boldly for the things of God. And thank God for those who courageously put their life on the line to do the work of God. And we ought to be courageous in holding the rope to get them to the place that God would have them to go. So we notice the responsibility for holding the ropes. But secondly, notice the reasons for holding the rope. There are several reasons given here in the Scripture, but first of all, because of the desire of the enemy. In verse 23, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. We see the desire of the enemy is they wanted Saul to die. John 10.10 said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus went on to say, But I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. But I'll tell you, the enemy was out to destroy this man. And can I tell you, the enemy's still at work today. The devil's doing everything he can, dear friend, to try to stop the message of the gospel. We're living in a society here in America that was once founded upon the principles of God's Word. I realize every founder of our nation was not a Christian. But I'm telling you, it was influenced greatly by Christianity and the gospel freely flowed and it would be good sometimes if all of our history classes would remember where we came from as a nation and and then the freedom that was involved Uh, this freedom of religion that we hear in our society today they're now trying to say freedom from religion that was never uh, the goal never the constitution dear friend it was not about keeping the church out of influencing our our government and our society but rather it's about uh, trying to keep the government from taking over over churches or having a state church or uh, requiring that you go to one particular church. I thank God I live in America where we have the freedom of religion, but can I tell you, somebody needs to realize that the enemy's trying to do everything he can to stop the work of God. So we see because of the desire of the enemy, but not only that, because of the darkness of night. The Bible tells us that uh, when they took him, they took him by night. I don't know about you, but it seems like it's getting darker all the time. I'm not just talking about physically. We're getting ready to change time Sunday, and there's advantages and disadvantages, and you know, time change always has an effect. I'm kind of glad Sunday we fall back. Is that right? That's kind of nice. I always liked it. I remember one couple in our church, they were late every year, and they forgot about time change, and they showed up, and nobody else was there like our brother talked about. And, you know, their first thought was, oh, the rapture. But anyway, and, uh, uh, but uh, for the first time in their life, they made it for the whole Sunday school hour, which was miraculous. But anyway, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying, dear friend, it's getting dark. I'm talking about spiritually in this world in which we're living. In fact, is old-time Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Christianity has almost become foreign in our society. And it's sad that it would be that way. Listen, really the hope of our nation and the hope of our world is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And I don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. I need to stand boldly. But not only because of the desire of the enemy, because of the darkness of night. And because if we delay, it's going to mean death. You know, we can't get involved in missions too soon. And I understand there's a process. I understand there's a period of time. I'm for what our missionaries do to go on deputation 
Sometimes people have tried to create ideals that they think will get them there sooner. And sadly, it disconnects them, I think, from what they need as far as every local church that they go to. There's something great about your missionaries being able to come here and connect with us and be able to, for us to meet them and know them and pray for them and, and you know, to, uh, to have a, an interest in what they're doing. You know, I, I met Brother Yap this week, first time I ever met him. And I picked up one of his cards, and man, you know, I've been thinking about him and thinking about where God's going to put him in, in the L.A. area, and man, that's, that's exciting to me. Now, that won't happen overnight, but I'm telling you, he couldn't get there too soon, and they couldn't begin to reach that area too soon. There's such a great need. Everywhere you look, we've got to understand, dear friend, that time is of the essence. If we're going to do anything for God, we've got to do it now. To put it off, to delay, can certainly mean death. But then notice, thirdly, See, preacher, how many points you got tonight? Four. Somebody say amen. Not only do we see the responsibility for holding the ropes, the reason for holding the ropes, but notice thirdly, the reward for holding the ropes. Now, we're not in it for the reward, but listen to this. I want to be a rope holder because in the past, somebody held the rope for me. Now, think about my parents. I think about preachers I heard as a young man. I think about my Sunday school teachers. One of my Sunday school teachers was my wife's grandfather. He had me when I was a junior boy, before I was even saved. Uh, Grandpa Goad was my Sunday school teacher. And, uh, you know, I don't know uh, what you think about this, but, you know, if you teach junior boys, I think you're going to get a special place in heaven. I don't know. I'm telling you, rowdy and, you know, rambunctious. And my dad's preacher used to say, you could take a junior boy sit him on the front row of the church and tell him, boy, don't you move an inch or I'm going to wear you out after service. And he said, I'm telling you, he could sit there, look at you like he's not moving a bit. But he said, down inside that tennis shoe, there's a toe that's moving up and down because it's just in their nature. And I remember Grandpa Goat so patiently teaching us boys and even one year volunteering to be our, our uh, counselor at camp. And I thought, wow, he's a brave man. I think about Ramey French, who was a deacon in the church there at Lincoln. And Brother French, when we got there, he was beginning to lose his eyesight and it would get uh, continually worse. But I remember not long after we got there, he came to my dad and he said, Pastor, I know sometimes a preacher gets called out in the middle of the night. And I want you to know if you're ever called out to go make a visit or somebody has a need or you have to go to the hospital, I want you to consider me called too. And he said, I mean it. Don't ever hesitate to call me. That's the kind of man Ramey French was. The summer before I got saved, I'll be honest with you, I was having a little struggle. I'd got my eyes on somebody in the church that really was kind of a bitter, backslidden Baptist. They're all over the world. That one happened to be a member of our church. And I kind of got my eyes on him. And I remember thinking, man, I don't ever want to be a preacher. Because that guy will shake my dad's hand and say, that's a great sermon, preacher. And then go around the corner and just rip on the preacher. And, you know, it's what we call a, a phony or a hypocrite. And uh, I got my eyes on him just a little bit. And I went to see my dad about it one day. And dad said, well, hey, what do you think about Ramey French? I said, well, I didn't come talk about Ramey French. I came talk about this other guy. Dad said, I know, but what do you think about Ramey? I said, well, Dad, Ramey French, he's, you know, he's a wonderful guy. He's the real deal. My dad said to me, well, son, if you can't see enough Christ in me, get your eyes on Ramey French and forget about that other guy. That summer, Ramey French was my camp counselor, which, by the way, 
Years later, I wrote a poem about Ramey French called The Influence of One Man. God used him to make such a difference in my life. In fact, is I believe there were two men, and he was one of them, that led to my uh, personal salvation experience outside of my parents' Ramey French was at camp that summer. I was 12 years of age, and we were walking along, and we were telling corny jokes like 12-year-olds tell, and Brother Ramey told a joke, and I'm telling you to this day, I cannot remember anything about his joke that was off-color, that was offensive, but we're walking along, and all of a sudden, he throws his arms out and says, Stop right there, boys. And we all stopped, and he said, Boys, I need to ask you to forgive me. That joke grieved the Holy Spirit of God. And I don't want to be a bad influence on you boys. Will you all forgive me? And we're all like, <laughs> you know, we, we didn't know what he had done, what he had said. It wasn't off color. There wasn't a bad word, nothing like that. We said, sure, we forgive you. He said, all right, boys, let's pray. Then he began to talk to the Lord. He said, Lord, I'm so sorry. As soon as I told that joke, I knew it grieved you. I don't want anything to interfere with my walk with you. So, Lord, I want you to forgive me. The boys have forgiven me. But I don't want anything to come between me and my walk with you. I'm standing there as a 12-year-old boy, almost 13, saying in my heart, this guy really knows God and doesn't want anything to hinder his walk with God. And I'll tell you, Brother Ramey French made such an impact on my life. And I'm just simply saying in the past, someone held the rope for me. Ramey French held the rope for me and a multitude of others that influenced my life, my parents and many preachers that I heard through the year. And by the way, let me say this, not only in the past that someone held the rope for you, but you never know the potential of the one in your basket. These men are letting Saul over the wall. He is not at this point the great Apostle Paul. He's just Saul. He's just a young convert. Now, I know he's had some training. He's been set under Annas. He's had some other uh, influence from Barnabas. But comparatively to where he's going to be, he's not known to them as the great Apostle Paul. But you never know who's in your basket. I won't take time, but you know the story of Charles Spurgeon, how that he walked along the streets one day, went in a little church, and the pastor couldn't even make it because of the snowstorm. And a layman in the church stood up and preached out of Isaiah, I believe it was, chapter 45, verse 22. And Spurgeon got under conviction and got saved by the grace of God because a layman in the church was holding the rope since his pastor couldn't be there. I'm just simply saying, you never know the potential of somebody that you're going to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had a man in my church years ago said to me, Brother Graham, I feel like such a failure. I haven't made that much difference for the cause of Christ. I said, well, let's sit down and talk about it just a little bit. And we began to reminisce about all the years he had been a faithful Sunday school teacher. And I said, think about the young men that you taught through the years. Where are they all at? And we began to talk about some who had been called to preach, some who were missionaries. Some who were businessmen, some who were faithful members of the church, now grown, that once had sat in his Sunday school class. And, and I said, listen, brother, you may not be well known. You may not be someone that will ever be pointed out in society and even oftentimes in church. But I'm telling you, heaven is paying attention that you have not lost sight of the fact that sitting in front of you every Sunday when you're teaching those boys in Sunday school, the potential that's in their life, dear friend, you can't put a price tag on it and you never know what God God's going to do with somebody that's sitting in your Sunday school class. You never know the potential. But there's a promise of blessing for rope holders. You know, we don't know the names of these guys. The Bible doesn't tell us who held the ropes. I might could make some guesses, but here's what I'd like to say about that. 
God knows. You know, we can't live for public recognition. But God knows. And one of these days, God will manifest to, maybe to us things that will be amazing to us. We had a lady in our church in Tremont. Her health had gotten to the point where she couldn't really get out and knock doors, but she was a tremendous prayer warrior. And so she would say to the ladies in our church, hey, uh, if you wouldn't mind me riding along, I couldn't really walk much, but if somebody could pick me up, I could sit in the car and pray while you go in and talk to people about the Lord. And man, I'm telling you, it was amazing the number of times that ladies would go soul winning and get to lead somebody to Christ and Sister Mary would be out in the car just praying that God would bless their efforts. I'm just telling you, friend, you never know what God can do in somebody's life. And there's a promise for rope holders. He said this in Mark 9, I think it's 41, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, uh, he shall not lose his reward. God said, you give, and I'll make note of it, and we don't do it for the praise of men or the pat on the back. But I'm telling you, friend, I don't know about you, but I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let me say lastly tonight, there's a request for more rope holders. I don't know the number of people involved in mission giving in the church here, but can I tell you something? You're not going to give too much to missions. You say, preacher, I don't want to get too carried away. And I've actually had people say that to me at times. Well, you know, we can do too much for missions. I don't know how. Listen, the cause of Christ is the greatest there is and the need continues on. And Whatever we do for others, God will bless us. And I'm just simply saying, the more that this church does, and by the way, it's obvious God has blessed your church because of the heart you have for missions. He's blessed the church right here. We cannot miss that. We cannot escape noticing all the good things that God has done for your church. And there'll be times when we'll think, oh Lord, uh, you know, things might be a little tight, but when we are faithful to honor honor God through mission giving and soul reaching. I'm telling you, God honors that. There's a request. And it's quite simple. The request is for laborers. The Bible said the field is widened to harvest, but the laborers are few. There's a request. Hey, listen, there's a work to be done. Somebody here might be called to a mission field. Maybe to plant a church here in America. Maybe to be a missionary on a foreign field. I don't know about you, but I'm still excited about people taking the gospel to the regions beyond having an impact as workers for Christ. But then let me say uh, to the lost tonight, you are the reason we are holding the ropes. And to the lost that are out there in the field around us, they are the reason that we're holding the rope. And to the lost around the world, they're the reason why we want to be faithful in holding the rope. We never know. Paul came to Jerusalem, and the church was leery of him. And can you blame them? This was a guy that wanted to kill him. And now he's a Christian. Well, don't you love Barnabas that said, Hey, fellas, let me give you a word of testimony about this guy. You know, I want to be not only a rope holder like the men that let Saul over the wall. I want to be a Barnabas to young converts to encourage and help them. I had a friend that I met shortly after he got saved in Bible college, and man, God knit our hearts together, and I won't go into the details of the story, but time and time again, I was honored to get to introduce him. In fact, his, 
After a few years, a lady said to him one day, we were standing there, she said, I didn't remember you boys when you were in Sunday school together. Well, he didn't even go to Sunday school when he was a kid. But he'd run with me so long, she thought he and I grew up together. She thought he might have been in her Sunday school class. Somebody asked, asked him after she walked away, why didn't you correct her? He said, because I like her version of my testimony better than the real one. <laughs> but I said to him through the years, you know, let, let me introduce you. And boy, it was my privilege to introduce him to men of God. You know why? Because I want, I want to be a Barnabas to say to people, hey, here, here's this new brother. Let's welcome him. Let's encourage him. Let's strengthen him. You know, church, sometimes we're so used to things. The new converts come in. They don't always know what to do. They don't always know how to act. But I'll tell you one thing that helps them get right along is a good Barnabas coming along beside him and saying, hey, he's one of us. He just got saved. She just got saved. And let's do everything we can to encourage them. But let me just say tonight in closing, Let's keep holding the ropes. Hold the ropes for missions. Hold the ropes for lost and dying men and women around the world. Hold the ropes in going out and inviting people to the house of God and witnessing day by day as we go through this journey called life. Let's make a difference while it's still called today. Father, we love you. Thank you for the privilege of preaching here and, Lord, just sharing a little bit of our heart about missions and, Lord, more importantly, your word that so clearly tells us about our responsibility. May we take it, Lord, with all seriousness, Lord, no greater joy than introducing people to you. I pray you'll meet the needs and the invitation tonight in Jesus' name.